0: Well, we are concluding the book of Joshua here, and uh, <clears throat> I love this line because as we have entered into this strange, obscure season of COVID, post COVID, no back to COVID, no, it's a variant, whatever the heck this is, we're studying this great line in Joshua. Where it says, You've never passed this way before. And the line comes at a very important piece where Joshua and the Israelites are getting ready to cross into the promised land, which is more than just a hope, it's a promise God made to Abraham. Uh, Many many years in in reverse and so they are looking to God to fulfill not only that promise But they're also moving into a people group and a nation and so as they're making their way into the Jordan River And they're watching the ark of the covenant go before them and split the waters Joshua remembers God's faithful words follow behind the ark of the presence of God for you have never been this way before And I can think of no better term or no better idea or no better person to put myself behind than God because I think about these important times in our lives where things don't always make sense, but we have a God who can navigate those dangerous waters. And so here we are. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Joshua chapter 21. We're going to take a look at this verse, and we're going to work our way into 24 rather quickly. And we're going to contemplate some of the things that Joshua is going to be saying to the Israelites because the words that Joshua shares with this particular people group in this particular point in history, I think, are just as relevant today. So here we go. Joshua has just arrived. The, the Israelites have now wiped the promised land clean and they have taken over the lands and they have been divvied up and, and they're given, given out to all the people just like God had promised. And in that deviation, as they're handing out the land, the Israelites realize just how fair God is, and how just God is, and how faithful God is. And everybody, every tribe, is given a piece of land, except for the Levites. The Levites are a specific tribe group that are unique in that God designated them to be set apart as servants to the Lord himself. And that means that they work in the temple, they are the priests, they're the ones who take care of the animal sacrifices and the offerings to God. They are not given a land. And there's a reason for that. Not because God doesn't care about them, but because God is going to ask the people, the Israelites to give up pieces of their land as a tithe back to God. And God is going to put those priests and those people in their land. So in other words, God's servants dwell among the people, which I think is such a cool idea. And so here we have Joshua wrapping up this entire book in this great, great phrase written in 2443. So the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had promised to give their ancestors and they took possession of it. They settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands, and not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled." So as I was thinking about this, I, I was pondering this idea here, this thought, that everything God has promised his people for centuries had now come to pass. That through Abraham's faithfulness, God produced a people. He gave them a land and they became a nation. And that would continue to this day to demonstrate the awesomeness of God's grace and love for all of humanity. God's goal from the beginning in calling the Israelite people into a nation wasn't simply to give them some sort of power and prestige over everyone else. It was to use them as a vehicle to show his goodness and his grace and his glory to the entire world. So that everything that they would do, God would be moving in and through them. So that the miraculous things that they experienced would be talked about. And Joshua is filled with those stories. Every time they come upon a people group or a tribe that wants to attack them, the tribe is scared of the Israelites because they're remembering and hearing what God has done in and through them. And so it shows how God wants to get the world's attention. And he's willing to use people who are faithful to do so. And in getting their attention, what God is really doing is inviting them into his family to become children of the living God. Now, right now, we're dealing with the Israelites, but if we jump into the New Testament, Paul will talk about this great mystery, this, this mystery that's been exposed, the reality that from the very beginning, God wanted to use the Israelites to invite people like you and me, the Gentiles, to become grafted in to this vein or this vine of Jesus. And so you and I, becoming believers in Jesus Christ, are now grafted into the family of God, the nation of Israel, in a very unique way. We become faithful to God in the same way. And so I just think that this is such a powerful concept, but what I really wanna look at this is that God's promise is really about his presence. When we talk about God's promise to us, it's about him being present in our lives, that he'll never abandon us, that he's faithful to provide all that we need, And so I want to take a moment and I want to ask you this question. Where has God been faithful to you? You've been handed a three by five card. Uh, Those of you at home, go ahead and grab a piece of paper. Maybe you have a notebook standing by, but grab your three by five card. And I want you to just pick one side of that card. And we're going to take two minutes. And I want you to answer this question. Where has God been faithful to you in your life? You can just write bullets. Uh, You can maybe write out a sentence or, or if you want to draw a little picture that helps you remind something. And I'll just give you an example. Um, In my life, I remember coming to Granville, Ohio to interview for a job in a little town called Granville in a little church called Center United Methodist Church. And I'll never forget, it was the second or third night that I remember God saying, Kevin, this is the place for you. It's now 17 years later, and I'm still in Ohio, still doing ministry, and I feel like God has just continually blessed my life and provided new opportunities for me to serve. God has been faithful all along. So Think about things in your life. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a job thing. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. But what has God been faithful in? Take two minutes to do that. Sometimes I like to even think about those opportunities in my life that I didn't know would be a blessing in God's faithfulness. maybe they were scary at first. Think about those times looking back now with 2020 hindsight what has God been facing think of my own life, I was just thinking about um, talking to my my brother-in-law the other night and thinking, you know, all these years ago, my family grew up in Granville. My grandparents got married and had their first honeymoon in the Granville Inn. They bought a little house by the cemetery there in Granville. They sold that house. They bought another house, which is the one my family now lives in. I think about my mother growing up here with her sisters and going to denison for one year and then going to california and that's where i came along when she met my father and now here i am moved back to granville ohio and my sister and her family have now moved back and now my mother has moved back and i think how did god know all that and how was he able to orchestrate that and wow has god been so faithful by blessing our family with those kinds of relationships where we can be close and so we now live about a mile apart from each other which Is just far enough to have your own life, but close enough where you can still be connected. And so, I think about all the blessings. So, go ahead and take a look at that paper of all those things that God has been faithful in, and just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for that. Now, if God delivered his promise to Abraham, to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, then later to Moses, who would come and rescue the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt and give them a place in a land, uh, and then call Joshua out of that same group to then lead them further after Moses died, then why wouldn't God be faithful to you? And the reason I keep coming up on this is because all through Joshua we get this message that God does not fail. That God's promise, although maybe it wasn't delivered in the time and the manner that Abraham wanted, that God is faithful. So I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I have prayed so earnestly and so honestly for God to do something great, and then he didn't show up in the way I had hoped. But all the while, God is churning the soil underneath, and he is moving things and placing things, and sometimes those challenges that you and I face become the greatest blessings in our lives, because God is a God who moves forward, constantly preparing the road for those who are faithful to him so let's take a look at what happens next in this story and also kind of contemplate some things on a little deeper level let's go back to that first verse we just looked at and i want to point out the last line of that verse so take a look at this it's in yellow or orange not one of all of the lord's good promises to israel failed everyone was fulfilled you know there are times in my life when things get really hard or or i feel the temptations and the struggles in this world to to do things that are totally against the character and nature of god and When I think about those moments, I I hold fast to who God is and what he's invited me into. And and I embrace this idea of gratitude that, God, I, I am grateful for who you are and what you've done for me. And therefore, I will stand steadfast and true. I won't sway to the right or the left. I will remain faithful as a sign of my gratitude for what you've done for me. Believe it or not, that's one of the most powerful things I can think about in those moments when life gets scary or uneasy or temptations come in my way. It's, that opportunity to be faithful is so important because that's a part of the covenant that God originally made with Abraham and eventually all the people of this world to invite us into being his people and him being our God. He is the one who created us, brought us into existence and gives us a life and a purpose within him and in this world. He he is the one who calls us into a relationship so deep that he's willing to make a way where there is no way by providing the ultimate sacrifice of his own son. That may sound chaotic to a parent that somebody would offer their own son out of love for someone else, but I want to point out something interesting about our God. Our God, being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a triune God. That's three distinct personalities, but one God. And so when Jesus goes to the cross and gives his very life for you and I, he didn't do so because he was commanded or forced. He did so out of reverence, respect, and love, knowing full well that you and I are worth the price so that we could spend eternity with God. We're talking about a God who not only knows you intimately, but longs for intimacy with you. I know of no other God in this entire universe that wants those things. So how will you respond to this? How will you respond to God's faithfulness and, and to what God has done for you? And this is a great question because I, I think about this every night when we finish dinner at our house. In the Koski household, it's really important that we sit down and have dinner together each night because we know that as our kids are getting older, there are more and more activities and we're going to lose them sooner or later. And so that's a time for our family to connect. We always play a game, three highs and a low. we three points where, where God was just faithful and gracious and what were some of the good things that happened today and then what was something that just you know quite frankly just was awful and we talk about it and we laugh and we have a good time but i've noticed this pattern from the moment my children began to eat solid foods and it's that they began to have an opinion about things and so It doesn't matter how much money we spend on the meal or how much time or effort we put into it. It doesn't matter if it's nutritious. It doesn't matter if it meets all the qualifications of a good meal. Sometimes my kids just go, I don't like it. And then sometimes I'll watch my kids finish the meal and walk into the kitchen, and they have to pass the sink and the dishwasher to put their plate down on the counter to walk out. And so we've sat our children down many times and explained to them that, you know, listen, we're doing this because we love you. We're providing the the best meal we possibly can at our expense and our time because we want to provide you with the very best we can to give you nutrients and and to give you life to go through your activities. And so our expectation is that you would respond in gratitude. So it's okay to say, hey, I don't like it, but we don't want to hear I hate it or this sucks. Or gross or what planet did this come from? That's usually when my wife cooks not me but that's really not true it's usually my food that they say that about. Or when you're finished with the meal you don't just throw your plates on the counter for the person who spent all that time preparing it to clean like you do your part you wash it off you put it in the dishwasher because you want to show the kind of gratitude that you're thankful for the gift. We teach the same concept when my kids receive a gift, say at a birthday or Christmas, or, or maybe somebody just blesses them. And we talk about the importance of writing a thank you note. That it's showing gratitude that you understand that the responsibility and, and the enormity of the gift you received. That somebody took time and energy and, and perhaps finance to, to give you this gift. And so we respond showing the gratitude that we understand what that gift cost. We do this in all areas of our lives, but I don't know if we always think about how we do that with our God. That he's the one that breathed you into existence. That he's the one that called you by name. That he gave you every hair on your head. That he, he made you uniquely you. And he allowed the life experiences you have to happen around you. And he allowed himself to be a part of your life. And he now invites you back into that relationship with him through his son. And some of us have been walking in that relationship for years, but perhaps we've gotten a little laxed on just being grateful and showing our gratitude for God. And the Israelites are no different. And Joshua is constantly reminding them, as did Moses, and as does everybody in the future of the Bible, all through the New Testament, that our gratitude displayed to God for what he's done for us is best served when we are simply obedient. So there's an interesting part I think it's in Matthew where Jesus is talking to this person about the the giving of gifts at the altar and Jesus says yeah that's all well and good to come and serve God with a gift or or to provide something for God but if you have something that's wrong like a broken relationship in your life you should leave everything at the altar go and make that relationship right and then come back to the altar because God desires mercy not sacrifice in other words God is asking us to live a life that reflects the kind of thank you we should be giving to him for the life he's given us. And so Joshua is going to be reminding the Israelites with some harsh words here in a minute, but let's just take a look here. I love this. How will you respond to God's faithfulness to what God has done for you? And then how I live my life demonstrates my gratitude for who God is and what he's done for me. Right? It's pretty simple. Like, I live a life of gratitude because God has given me so much. Now listen, Joshua's going to warn Israel here with these harsh words, and he says, but. And whenever you see the word but in your Bible, that's a great word to circle or highlight or underline because something that comes next is sort of this explanation or this question or this challenge, this hard truth that we have to wrestle with. And so here's what he says. He goes, but be very careful. To keep the commandments and the laws that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so these commandments that Moses begins to write actually begin to fuel the entire Jewish concept of laws and regulations, and we can read about them in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And we can dig deeper into them. But bottom line is there's about 613 commandments. And if you were to break them down, you've got 365 negative commandments and 248 positive commandments. A negative is like a thou shall not, right? Or a positive is thou shall, right? Thou shall not have other gods before me. Thou shall love the Lord your God. And so what's interesting to me is this Jewish philosophy, kind of what, what is sort of impregnated into their soul and their concept of how we live life together are, are these funny ideas that there's 365 days and a solar calendar a year. 365 times the sun goes around the earth or the earth goes around the sun. It's this idea that if you're going to walk in this world and you're going to have longevity in the world, you need to pay attention to the commandments of God. That will give you long life and it will give you a good life. And then when you drop down into this 248 positive commandments, the the Jewish mindset looked at the human body and all its intricacy, and it said, you know, if you add up all the bones and the major organs, you come up with this number, 248. And so the positive things are what give us life. And so I think it's fascinating that God looks at life and longevity together when we look at the commandments. You know, sometimes we look at God's commandments, and we think, oh, God's just trying to control me. He's just trying to tell me what to do. No, no, God is trying to give you life and longevity. And who doesn't want those things? And so it makes sense. But I can't remember all these 613 commandments, and and maybe you can. So I like what Jesus teaches in the New Testament when they say, what's the most important of all the commandments? He said, it really boils down to this. If if you're going to fail, fail at this. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. I cannot tell you how many situations that I run into where that's what I default to. Okay, God, I don't know what to do, but I want to love you, and I want to love this person as I love myself. So let me give you an example. I uh, am getting older in years, and I'm finding that there are things that just happen to your body as you get older. I think it came about once I got married and had kids. I had no health problems before I got married or had kids. So if you're not married and you don't have kids, that might be a way to keep your health. But for me, I have to wear a CPAP or a BiPAP machine at night. It's super sexy. It's a mask like Darth Vader, and it hooks to a tube to a machine that And my wife just looks at me every night and just shakes her head and just rolls over because it's ridiculous. But that's what I need in order to, to breathe and protect my heart and, and you know, survive for this next part of life. Well, right now with all the stuff going on with COVID, and the shipping and, and the challenge of getting parts and things, uh, my machine got recalled. And the new machine, we were having trouble getting. And so I called the company. And the company, uh, poor lady on the other line, you could tell she has run into this frustration with every customer. And here I am, probably calling at the very end of the day when the store closing, and she just loses it. And she starts going off and just blaming me and getting mad. And I just took a breath, and I thought, wow, like, I didn't cause this, but I can do something about it. God, this is unfair. It's not right how she's treating me, and I have every right to yell and scream or hang up on her. But you know what? I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love her. And so I set up a date. I said, you know what? Let's not solve it right now. How about I come in this week? Give me a time that works for you. So we set up a time on Thursday, and I showed up right on time, and I went back, and I sat down with her, and I said, look, I cannot even begin to imagine how hard your job must be right now. And she said, you don't know the half of it. I can't get machines. People are all irate. The machines that that have gone out are being recalled. We're just, we're in a nightmare. And I said, I can understand that. I said, but I'll tell you what. I'm here now, and I believe that you can help me solve this problem. So let's see what God has in store for us. You know, the next 30 minutes, not only were we able to get a machine, but we had a great conversation about life and kids. Everything resolved, and it was peaceful and it just makes sense. I know it might sound like such a silly example, but I just wanna show you that God is in the here and now and in the everyday moments if we open our eyes to see. God wants to use you and me, just like he used the Israelites to show the world of his glory, his love, and his grace that he wants to extend to all people. And so when we act like God, holding his statures and his commandments close to our heart and acting in the character and nature of God, why wouldn't we see life and longevity. It just makes sense. And so, you and I have an incredible power inside of us through the Holy Spirit that we can grant grace and love to people that don't even deserve it, and therefore extend life and longevity to anyone we deem we want to. Don't forget that power you have. And Joshua is reminding the Israelites of that right now. So, love the Lord your God, love others. Now, Joshua begins to give a testimony of God's faithfulness. You can find this in Joshua 24. In fact, if you want to just wrap up the whole book, you can pick it up in 24 and you can read through all the history. And it's so cool because God takes them from from Egypt into the promised land and what he's done by separating the the, um, river and passing them over and taking down Jericho and all the countries that come after them and nations that try to wreck them and how God goes before them and wipes them out and makes a, a way for Israel to come into this land. That there are no enemies that can stand in the face of God and then he walks all the way through this history and then Joshua says something that is so profound that Hobby Lobby has copied it and put it on almost every sign I've ever seen there in fact we have one hanging in our house and it's you know as for my family and I we will serve the Lord but I don't want to focus on that yet I want to rewind a couple verses and, and show you how Joshua gets to that statement because that is the powerful part for us today. So take a look at this verse here. This is Joshua 24, beginning in 14 and 15. It says, now fear the Lord. Now, when you hear the word fear the Lord, we're not talking about cowering under your bed, scared to death. This isn't a God who's looking to smite you, beat you, humiliate you, or hurt you. The the word is always misinterpreted, but what it means is show reverence to. I don't know about you, but I grew up in in San Diego, California, and one time I got too far out at sea when we were surfing at the beach. And I can tell you right now, I had a fear of the water, a, a reverence for the power that was behind the ocean and how the currents could move us places that we didn't wanna go. When we talk about fearing God, we're talking about reverence for the power of who and what he is and what he can do. That not only did he create the world that we live in, but he can manipulate it and work it in ways that we could only begin to imagine. And so as Joshua's walking through the history of, of what he's done for Israel, he's talking about the miracles and the miraculous moments where God intervened and did things that just don't make sense, like last week when he made a sun stand still, or he dropped ice chunks in the middle of the desert to push away an army that was trying to wipe out Israel. I mean, these things are just mind-blowing to me, but not really when you look in the scope of the awesomeness of God. And so we're talking about fearing God and having reverence for God. So now have reverence for the Lord and serve him with your faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. So he's talking about the land outside of the promised land. That life you once had, get rid of that stuff. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and I love this, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve whether it's the gods of your ancestors and who they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So if you can remember back in Genesis, it's around chapter 12, where Abraham is being called by God, and it says that he has to leave his father's family and his father's gods in order to trust this new life in this supreme God, And that God promises him not only to have children, but an entire nation more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, that he's going to then take those people into a land and give them land, and that they'll become the nation of Israel, the people of God. But Abram had to give up what he had for what God was promising him to get. Now, Way back, this was probably about a month ago, we started talking about ways you can experience and encounter God on your own. And one of the ways that I explained to you that I like to encounter God is doing what we call formational prayer. It's really kind of an opportunity to just get away from everything, sit down. I like to listen to music without words so I can't sing along. And I allow myself to go to what I call a safe place. So in my mind, I go back to a safe place. For me, it's the house I grew up in. And I can, I can tell you the smells, I can tell you what I see when the doors open, and I walk into the house into the living room and I make a right down the hallway and there's the fancy dining room that we only use once a year at Christmas. And then there's the kitchen and the breakfast nook and, and then the hangout room that, that we would always watch TV in. And then out the porch was the pool in the backyard. And I can see the sun sweeping in and the, and the wind blowing the curtains. I mean, it's so real to me. But in that moment, I always go to that place and that's my safe place where I feel safe comfortable. And I encourage you to find a safe place in your mind where you can go. It doesn't even have to be a real place. But once I'm there, and I begin experiencing all those things I just explained to you, where I am truly invested in that space, I invite Jesus to meet me there. Do you know what Jesus always shows up? And when he shows up, it's an overwhelming peace and sensation that just calms my whole body. It's like from head to toe, it's like, oh, I just released, and I can... I can just experience Jesus there and sometimes he puts his arm around me or sometimes he laughs with me or sometimes he, he tells me something or sometimes he wants to show me something in my life and it just depends what God wants to do in that moment but I, I practice this quite regularly and the more you practice the easier it is but I want to tell you something that happened to me this week I, I took my son to school he goes to a, a school down in Westerville because my son has autism and that's a school that can better serve his needs And so on the days I take him down, two days a week, I I find a coffee shop to work at. So I'm I'm in this Panera coffee shop, and I'm doing this formational prayer in public, which is very dangerous. I I recommend you probably do this at home somewhere. And I have this encounter with Jesus where we meet in the, the normal place we do, the kitchen of the house, and he takes me outside. And I'm looking at the pool, and there's my dad who died in 2008, and he's sweeping the pool like I remember him doing as a kid. And and I can see, you know, I'm looking around at the yard and I'm just remembering all these great memories from my childhood. And then all of a sudden it it starts clouding up in this vision. And and all of a sudden it looks like a, a tornado or a hurricane or something, but it's turned sideways and it begins sucking the house and my father and all these memories that I hold so dear into it. And I can feel it in my body where I'm getting anxious and nervous and afraid. And I turned to Jesus, and I kid you not, and my apologies for anyone that would be offended, but I said, God damn it, Jesus. Why are you taking my most favorite memories? I wanted to live here my whole life. Now, while that's happening on this intimate relationship of me meeting with the ultimate creator of the universe, everybody else in Panera is ordering coffee and things, and they're going, what the hell is wrong with this guy who's crying in the corner? But back into that vision, Jesus turned to me, and everything went dark, and he said, now, Kevin, sometimes I have to take those things so I can give you these. All of a sudden, out of the dark steps my wife, Tammy. If I had stayed at that house my whole life, living in that fantasy and that dream of childhood, I would have never met my wife. And my son Gabriel comes out, my daughter Gwen, my daughter Courtney. And, And just to like rub salt in the wound of how silly I am, God also brought out our three animals, the dog, the cat, and the guinea pig. And at that point I said, Jesus, it's a little bit too much. But the point is this, in that experience, Jesus is saying, Kevin, look, I'm asking you just to be faithful and to trust me. And sometimes you're going to go through really hard things where things seem like they're being pulled away from you or taken from you, and it may not seem fair or right, and you may want to even cuss and scream and yell at me. But I'm doing it because I can't give you the blessing of the future unless we remove the things of the past. So Abraham had to give up his past to step into the future. And not just Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. Moses had to give up something. Joshua had to give up something. And you're going to have to give up something. So if you're willing to go there in this Space or at home, I, I want you just to take a second. If you have your 3x5 card, flip it over. If you're at home, grab a p- another piece of paper, find another space. And, and I want you to begin thinking about what do you need to leave behind in order to show gratitude for what God has done and to embrace the promise of the future? So what do you need to leave behind? What are some of those those things? I, I love the term of false gods or false beliefs or or bad experiences or whatever. But I I also think sometimes we have to give up some good things if we're brave enough to step into the future that God wants with us. But don't forget, God's presence is always with us. It's promised and guaranteed. So take the next two minutes, and same thing, I'm going to play a video here, or a song, and and I want you to begin thinking about that through the power of the Holy Spirit, what it is that you need to give up. Go ahead and take two minutes. And allow God to reveal something to you. Remember, we're not just losing something. We're giving it up in order to make room for what God is doing next. Go ahead and finish your last thought or, or finish that sentence or bullet point. Remember, we're talking about giving something up in order to make room to receive. And one of the things I'm, I'm learning in my life is that with a family of three children and my wife and I, we cannot say yes to everything. And so it becomes really important that we say no to something so that we can make room for that Yes. And I think that that fundamental principle is is a big piece of what God is inviting us into. You know, whenever I feel like the burden is heavy, I'm reminded of that scripture verse where Jesus says, take upon my yoke, take upon my my commandments and my presence, take upon what I'm asking you to do for its light. And so when things feel heavy, I, I, I tend to believe it's not because of God it's because maybe we're just trying to do too much or we're trying to do the wrong things or maybe you're like me and you're holding on to things that God is asking us to give up so that he can give us something new. A fresh wind, a fresh fire, a fresh experience.